appreciate these folks each week who lead us in a place of worship and the time. Let me tell you what our prayer is just about every Sunday morning when we gather here at 7. We pray, we certainly pray for the logistics of the things that we do, but our first and foremost prayer is that worship begins with us that are here. For we want to be a people who come into God's presence. We want to be a people who recognize his amazing grace at work in our lives. Well, it is uh, a privilege today to have a guest drummer. Um, and uh, in our district superintendent, uh, newly elected Dave Morey and his wife, Melissa, we uh, are structured in the Church of the Nazarene uh, in uh, districts based on geographical areas. We have about uh, 75 churches or so in our geographic area that have come together and say we are stronger together. We are better together. When we work together, we're more effective in the geographical areas in which we serve. We can support each other, stand alongside of each other. And then over that district, we have someone called our district superintendent. And uh, we're thankful to have uh, Dave and Melissa here today. Also here because I just passed through my 22nd anniversary as pastor, and that triggers every four years, so the first two and then every four after that, uh, a review process with the church and the board in which we talk about uh, our relationship, we talk about the future, we're going to do that at 2 o'clock today. But um, first and foremost, he came to play the drums. Um, not really. First and foremost, he came to open the word. And so I invite you to uh, invite the spirit to let his word fall upon your heart. Would you welcome Dave Campoy? I love employee evaluation time. Yeah? No? Yes? Yes? Uh, it, it's uh, interesting as a church when we talk about employee uh, evaluations or what we call them pastor reviews, everybody sort of has that in their mind uh, that it's, oh, it's like that uh, painful time when I sit with my boss and it's uh, uncomfortable because they nail me to the wall on my quotas or something. Uh, but that's not quite the way it is in the church. Uh, we want, um, uh, who, who is it that we want to show up and perform the work in the church? Is it the pastor? No, it's, we want, we want God to show up, right? We want God to show up and do the heavy lifting. We want God to show up and do the work inside the hearts and minds of people. So, uh, pastor gets a free pass. That's a joke. We, uh, we do do a leadership review. That's the, the best way of understanding it, the relationship between a board and a pastor and uh, how things are going in the church. What we evaluate is what we value. So as a denomination, we want to evaluate how each church is doing, and we want to make sure we're doing everything we can as leaders uh, to do everything that God asks us to do. Would you agree that's a good thing to do? Amen. Amen. I've had the privilege of knowing Chad for a number of years. Uh, we even spent some time in college at the same time. And let me tell you, I'm a Chad fan. So it is truly an honor uh, to be in your church and to be standing at this pulpit. And uh, I just appreciate it. Appreciate your warmth and hospitality already. Uh, my wife and I have uh, explored a little bit of Sandpoint yesterday, and it's gorgeous. My word amazing so you live in paradise and you worship in a great place you're, you're basically prepped for heaven good job you did it you've arrived you made it 
what's interesting, though, is uh, as I look around at the world, uh, everything is not as rosy as we would like. Would you agree? Uh, we, the world has some problems going on, has some serious issues. Uh, there are uh, lots of uh, people who are struggling with addiction. There are uh, a lot of people who are buried neck deep in debt. There are people who are strangled uh, by culture these days. And it, it just seems like everywhere we turn uh, that there are problems, huge problems all around us. And uh, there is definitely a human impulse that I have whenever I, I, I get a glimpse of these big, huge problems. That impulse, many of you are already there with me, is what in the world are we going to do? This is too big. It's hopeless. It's hopeless. And so a lot of people have this to say, uh, especially the older we get, the more we say things like this. Oh, Jesus, come. Just come. And we want like an eject button. Like we want Jesus to just hit the eject button like an ejection sheet, seat. And we would just uh, all, you know, be raptured or, or, or be gone. And, and, and uh, you know, young people don't always pray that. Isn't that interesting? They're like, hey, I got a lot of life left, right? I want to live. Uh, God gave me life. I want to live it. But it's interesting. The older we get sometimes, our reaction to the problems of this world is the ejection seat. So, um, but even young people look around and they say, yeah, there's some big problems. I'm just going to take care of me and my stuff. We all have sort of these ways we react to the big problems around us. But typically it's to keep the problems away from me. It's to keep them away. Sometimes we'll put them in little boxes or categories. Uh, uh, My wife and I are currently living right near downtown Spokane. There's a huge homeless population there. And my immediate reaction is problems too big. I don't know what to do. Uh, homeless people, God bless you, you stay over there. It's almost like I have them in a box. And when I run into them on the street, uh, it's like, um, you know, I, 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 God bless you, I got to go, I'm busy. So we sort of like uh, keep everybody sort of at arm length. Uh, and I think we would do the same thing if we meet somebody and they're completely addicted to, to drugs or, or whatever it is. We say, you know what, uh, there's treatment center, you go over there get your treatment, and I'm, I got, I'm busy. We sort of have all these ways that we kind of keep people at arm's length and keep people sort of uh, over there because it's too overwhelming. The problems are too big. Uh, there's also this interesting uh, uh, additional dynamic uh, that I feel, uh, and I'm a pastor, but whenever I meet people and they sort of uncover that I am a pastor, uh, they have uh, s- very strange reactions. Uh, maybe you can imagine that why I sort of keep back that I'm a pastor as long as I can. And it's not because I'm ashamed. It's just that it complicates the conversation uh, as people sort of rapidly clean up their vocabulary. You know what I mean? And, and then change the subject and they want to talk about religious things. Uh, and they definitely, uh, many times, will cut the conversation short because they think I want to sell them something uh, that has to do with Jesus or magic beans or something like that. Like there's these strange, uh, this, uh, I had one time where somebody wanted to talk to me uh, about religion. The only, the only thing they knew about religion was they grew up as a kid in a church that had a bell choir. Like It was 20 minutes of bell choir. That's what I got from this, from this gal. That, that, that was the only religious thing she knew. What, what boggles my mind is, you know, I'm somebody, who has, I'm somebody who has studied Scripture and I've dug into God's Word and I have found a lot of help, you know, for me personally. 
God has helped me overcome a, a great deal of, of issues and problems in my life. And I've discovered this thing that the Bible calls the gospel. And it's good news for those who are struggling with sin and problems. And I, there's a part of me that's like, I wish somebody would ask. But because the problems are so big and I'm sort of keeping people at arm's length, and then when I do bring up I'm a pastor or a Christian, people sort of keep me at arm's length. What I'm discovering is that in our culture today, as a church, as Christians, as clergy, many of us, if you're a Christian, if you've given your life to Christ, you feel that barrier between everybody who's not a believer. You sort of feel that distance. And there are plenty, probably people in your own life who don't even want to hear it from you anymore, right? Like they don't even want to hear the religious talk anymore. And it's almost like as soon as you bring up Jesus, they just go blah, blah, blah. Talk to the hand, you know, whatever it is, you kind of feel that distance from a lot of people. Now, there is an exception uh, that I have people who will say, oh, you're a pastor. Um, can I just confide in you? I'm going through a crisis. I mean, that's kind of the one time that people sort of admit. But maybe you felt that uh, e- even in your place of work or in your neighborhood. That if you let it out, if you let it slip that you're a, a Christian, you believe in Jesus. Uh, you feel that distance. I, some of that is from, from, from other people, but some of that, I, I have to be honest, is from me. That as a Christian, my immediate reaction is to keep my distance. Uh, I'm not sure that that's the right attitude. It, I, I said it out loud for some of us who've never maybe said it out loud, but maybe we would all agree like, yeah, I feel that way sometimes. I feel that distance. I feel that separation. I especially get convicted about this when I read about how Jesus sort of lived and walked and talked in this world, right? Because he was pretty much the exact opposite of everything I just described, right? And and as much as I wish that I didn't have this tendency, I have to realize that is a, a part of me that needs to be dealt with. And, and I'll, I'll tell you this honestly, God has been dealing with me about this. That uh, this separation I feel with the world around me is not what God had in mind for, for me or for his people. Now we're going to look at a, a passage of scripture. And if you have your Bibles with you, I'd love for you to open up to Matthew chapter 9. And in this passage, Jesus is uh, traveling with his disciples. And they come across this vista, like this expanse where they see crowds of people. I would imagine them sort of coming over a rise and and sort of looking down on a village or town and just seeing this expanse of people. And um, I, I have the same feeling. I, you're, you're, you, you live up here sort of in the mountains and, and maybe you have moments where you travel down and you sort of come, come over the hill and you see all of Coeur d'Alene or all of Spokane. Or maybe you come down and you see downtown Spokane and you think to yourself, what a mess. Anybody have that feeling? Or you kind of look at the crowds of people and you just go, oh my goodness, what a mess. Yeah. Well, Jesus has a very different response. They sort of crest that hill. They see the expanse and Jesus says something else. So uh, we're going to look at that today. And if you would just stand with me to honor the reading of God's word, we're going to read Matthew chapter nine, and we're going to start reading at verse 35 through 38. And this is Jesus sort of traveling. This is what it says. Verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, 
teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news, what we talked about, of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, you sort of see him coming over that vista. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. The original language would say deep compassion. It was something in his, in his inner person. He had a deep compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Would you just say those two words with me? Harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is the word of God for the people of God. And together we can say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, his, his reaction is just a whole lot different than mine. Just totally different. Uh, the truth is, where I saw uh, trouble and hopelessness, he saw a harvest. Harvest. He has this deep compassion from deep within. It's like he's moved. He kind of just stops the flow of everybody. He's like, oh my goodness, you guys. Look at this harvest. And, he, and, and the, the writer just you know, looks out and it says he had compassion because the people were harassed and helpless. Now that, that's hard for us to sort of imagine because we look out over uh, th- these problems and if you're like me, I, I, I look at a lot of the problems that people get into and I say this, well, they got themselves into it. Well, you get what you pay for. You get what you spent your time with. You, you, you dug yourself this hole. You just need to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and pull yourself out, right? I mean, this is sort of the general attitude I find that I have with people, especially with deep problems, generational problems, like you got yourself into this. But Jesus points out this interesting word, harassment. And as I've dug into that and really thought about it, it reminded me of myself at 18 years old. 18 years old, I got a piece of mail in it that had my name on it, David Morey, a special offer for you. And I was like, wow, I never heard of these people before. But uh, evidently, I'm, I'm kind of a big deal with the Discover Card Corporation. And, and they said, introductory offer, no interest for three months. And the first year is this interest amount. And then it, it'll go up. But that was in smaller print. And so I opened up this. I opened up this envelope. And, and I found myself signing up because I thought, well, credit card. I'm a smart guy. I'll, I'll make good choices. Right? Well, I did. I got that card, and let me tell you, it was easy to swipe. I got good at it, really good. And I just swiped that card, and, and, and I thought to myself, well, if I buy this now, um, I'm getting paid in two weeks. I can pay that off. Or, I, you know, I can definitely pay it off in a month or two or a year. I can make the payments, Right? Well, uh, can you see what happened just after a few short months? Right about the time the interest rate popped up, I was $1,000 in debt. And this is a lot of years ago. I was not making that much money. And so I found myself deep in debt. Now, some of, uh, uh, some of us in the room, you immediately have the same response. Well, you got yourself into it. You got to dig yourself out. Way to go. 
you made a dumb choice. And I would say, you bet I did. We sort of, um, we sort of, all of us have sort of accepted like, well, that's just who we are as a culture. You have to warn your kids and you have to sort of, we sort of accepted like that's capitalism. That is, you know, the way this, this works as we hand out credit cards to adults. That's just, that's the way the economy works and we sort of write it off. We've accepted it. I think we've accepted it a bit much. How would you feel if I went up to your 18-year-old, if you had, you know, if you had an 18-year-old or, and I said, you know, don't tell your parents. I'm, I'm, I'm going to slip you this offer, but don't tell them. Um, I'm going to loan you $1,000 at 26% interest. All yours. Just sign this paper. If I went up to your kids in person and did that, how would you feel about me? You would say, leave my kids alone. How dare you make that offer to our kids? And yet that's exactly what our businesses are doing, right? It's exactly what's going on. We just sort of have this distance where it's impersonal. But our whole economy is kind of built on offers like this, where we're feeding people the impression this money will be a shortcut. Aren't Shortcuts are always great in life, aren't they? Anybody here just say, oh man, my biggest regret was a shortcut. I, we've, we've trained ourselves to sort of say this is okay the way it is. That, and, but in reality, if we really step back and look at it, there's a lot of harassment going on. There's a lot of half-truths and things that we're believing about what will make us happy, and they don't. The whole drug and alcohol culture is built on your life stinks. You may as well have a little bit of joy, a little bit of happiness, and a little bit of good feeling. Enjoy it while you can because you got nothing else. You know what that sounds like to me? Harassment. It's people who, and, and honestly, they feel like people around us genuinely have this feeling. What else have I got? What else have I got to look forward to? Jesus saw that very clearly. And he looked out over the multitudes and he saw that they were being harassed. And he really saw genuinely that they were quite helpless. They didn't know they had another option. And wouldn't you say that that very much describes culture today? That we have a lot of harassment going on. Yes, people are making their choices. Yes, I had $1,000 of debt I had to deal with and I brought it into my marriage and my beautiful, amazing Thrifty, good with money wife helped dig us out of debt. Thank you, honey, for sticking with me. We, but, but the truth is, I bought into a lie. The lie led to a hole I dug myself into, and it didn't have to happen that way. Could have learned to make better choices, especially if I thought to myself, I think there's better ways to run my money. And who's going to tell a world that there's a better offer? Well, Jesus looked at the multitudes and instead of feeling like just sort of that, well, you guys got yourself into this mess. Good luck with that. He had a very different response. He was moved and had a deep compassion for them. A deep compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, this is the heart of God that has that he has been working on my hardened American capitalistic heart on. He has been digging in and saying, maybe you should see the world differently. Not that I'm going to just solve everybody's problems with a wave of an economic hand and 
You know, it's not a political problem. It's a heart problem, isn't it? God says, and David, it starts with you seeing the world differently than you currently see it. Instead of buying into the way that the world sees the world or selfishly seeing the world or pushing the world and keeping everything at distance. God says, I want you to see it the way I see it. And the way Jesus says it, he nudges his, his disciples. It's almost like he grabs them a little bit like, yeah, look at this differently. Look at this crowd differently. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And then he gives them uh, this action plan. He says, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Uh, that's interesting how um, where I see just a, a sort of a, a desolate wasteland of a, of a culture. Our culture doesn't seem to be getting better. All, all our science and technology and advancement is just not getting us where we wanted to go. And where I see these big, huge cultural problems and I see a, a wasteland, God looks down and he sees a harvest. That's a different way of describing it, isn't it? I, I think about um, the time that Jesus was living in there's deep divides culturally based on economics, based on race, ethnicity, nationality, and politics. Does that sound anything like today? It sounds exactly like today. And it was in those conditions and in that climate that Jesus said, there is good news, there is healing for the sick, and there is hope for the poor, and there is help. And it is good news. Good news. There's hope. Look out there, he says. There's a harvest. Jesus was sitting with a Samaritan woman by a well. And the Samaritans were the complete opposite of the Jews. They were the, the, the hated people. They didn't believe right. Uh, they had a form of religion that, was, that, was, that, that the Jews just thought is completely wrong and horrible. And how many of us would look at a, a religious group around us and say, well, they're never going to be Christians. They're never going to believe in Jesus because they don't. They're religiously opposed to everything we believe. And, you know, and so what's our response? Well, I'm not going to worry about them. They're done. And Jesus is at the well with a Samaritan woman who was the lowest of the low in their society, if you go back and read the story. And he starts talking to her, basically breaking down that barrier through a relationship just quickly with her, just talking with her. And, uh, and, and as he begins to help her get some hope, she runs off and the disciples come back with some food and they're like, Jesus, are you hungry? And why were you talking to that weird lady? And Jesus is like, man, I've got food you know nothing about. And they're like, who brought Jesus food? They're literally concerned with what kind of food they're going to eat at lunch. Can anybody get an amen? Like you've been thinking about that all morning. Where are we going to lunch? I, nothing much has changed. Like, where are we going for lunch? Who gave Jesus lunch in advance? Going to ruin his meal? Jesus says, I've got food. You don't, I find satisfaction. This is what he's saying. I find nourishment and satisfaction in something you know nothing about. I see the world differently than you do. I will find satisfaction in something more than lunch today, he says. And I'm like, that's different. That's different. 
He says, look, there is a harvest. He says the same thing in that situation. Look, there is a harvest. And he's looking out at this whole religious group, this whole cultural religious group that the Jews had completely written off. And he says, look at this intensely huge harvest that we've given up on. And where we see complete hopelessness, Jesus sees a harvest. It's different. It's totally different. And it's different. It's challenging me right where I'm at. And so he says, pray. Here's the response. Disciples, you don't got it figured out yet. You don't have this figured out yet. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Now, the Lord of the harvest is something I've I've had to try and wrap my head around. I I grew up down in uh, Porterville, California for junior high and high school. And I got my first job uh, in Orange Grove. Uh, down there. I know nothing about farming. I know nothing about irrigation, nothing about growing oranges, nothing. My dad was a pastor, and so I, I did not grow up in any sort of agricultural environment. And uh, so I, I somehow, Mr. Shostag, who, who owned all this acreage, had mercy on the poor pastor's kid. And so he gave me a job. And I would show up groggy at 5 a.m. because you wanted to get to work early in, southern, in Central California. And uh, Mr. Shostag would, would tell me what to do. He'd say, go get on the, 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 the gra- uh, weed killer truck and go spray over in the, uh, the acreage over there. Or go take the shovel and dig out suckers in the back 40. And I would just go do what he told me to do. So um, uh, that's it. Well, I had a hand in the harvest. Whether it was killing weeds or digging out suckers or whatever it was, I had a hand in the harvest. Not because I knew what to do, but because the king of the orchards, Mr. Shostag, he knew how to grow oranges. So I just did what he said. And then there would be a harvest. And he would call for the workers to come, and they would pick a harvest. Who's the Lord of the harvest? Not me. Not your pastor. You have a great pastor, but is he the Lord of the harvest? We all know that Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. And he sees it all. He sees that the fields are ripe, and he also sees where it needs to be cultivated or needs to be nourished. And he is moving the workers around. And our job is to pray for workers. Pray for workers to go and be in the harvest field. Our job is to pray. Our job is to pray. God's the one doing the coordination. That, that helps me in multiple ways. And number one, it gives me hope where I had no hope. Because if it all depends on me, we're in trouble. Amen? If it all depends on you, we're going to be all right? No, I'm not. You and I are not smart enough, good enough, strategic enough to, to be able to pull that off. We need help. How many of you would say, yeah, we need help? There is a Lord of the harvest who is very aware. Now, if you go back into the history of the Church of the Nazarene, we were born as a denomination, as a movement. We were born in conditions just like today, where people were hopeless, hungover, strung out, addicted, poor, in debt, taken advantage of, We were born in an environment where we cared and we brought a message of hope to people who had no hope. And I tell you what, I look at the conditions of the world today and it just looks the same to me. 
as God has changed my perspective, I'm seeing the world through his eyes. And he is showing me that we are situated in communities just like Sandpoint, where there are people who are hopeless, helpless, and harassed. And there are workers ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? There are workers who are ready. Are you ready? Some of you are like, I want to be ready. (laughs) I think I want to be ready. But I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. I uh, was uh, backpacking just a a few years ago, and I was backpacking with with another friend of mine who's a Christian. Uh, He's a pastor. But then we also had these two sort of kind of relatives uh, who are friends of ours, uh, but not Christians, and, and, and really not Christians. You know what I mean? I mean, they're good people, and, but they're just not Christians, and we all know that, but we're friends. So we all went up backpacking, the four of us, and uh, we, we go backpacking up there, and I'm just up there to go backpacking. I mean, that's it, and, and, and these are good people, and we're hanging out, and it's good exercise. And so we're up there in nature, enjoying it. We got a campfire going, making s'mores, and I'm like, my agenda for the evening is to make the perfect s'more. You been there? Yeah, that's my agenda for the evening. When one of these guys who's a non-Christian, he turns to me and he says, hey, I decided I'm going to read the Bible all the way through this year. And I've already started. I'm halfway through. And I went, where did that come from? Where did that come from? I was completely shocked. And I, and I said, really? What, what are you learning? I mean, I didn't know what to say, right? I just sort of stumbled my way through. And it was almost like you could hear an audible hinges that were so rusty, just going creak, because here was an open door into somebody's life who had been shut off to Jesus forever. And I knew enough not to just pour out everything I knew about the Bible in one sitting just because he said, you know, he was reading the Bible. I just started asking questions. What, what, what have you discovered? What, what have you found? You know, how's it going? What, you know, what have you learned? What do you think? And he just started giving me his perception on it. And, and by the end of a couple hour conversation, I was able to just share with him, you know what? Jesus helps me make sense of the Old Testament. Jesus, because have you ever read the Old Testament? It's hard, isn't it? It's difficult. But Jesus helps me understand the Old Testament. Through Jesus, we can interpret all that stuff in the Old Testament. It just helps so much. But more importantly, that Jesus has changed my life. And I was able to share that in a very real, practical way. I I, I wish I could tell you that he made a decision for Christ that night. He didn't, but uh, we have had talks since then. It opened the door for us to keep talking about it. But after that campfire moment, we didn't sing Kumbaya either. It's so close. But after that campfire moment, like, uh, uh, so I just went back to life and I started, you know, praying for him more intentionally because I knew that God was at work in his life. I got a phone call from his dad and his dad was in tears. And what do you think his dad said? I've been praying for my son that somebody would be able to talk to him because I haven't been able to talk to him about this in years. What's he been praying for? 
He's been praying for workers to go in the harvest. My agenda was a s'more that night. God's agenda was an open door to get the good news through to somebody who needs it desperately. We don't know what the Lord of the harvest is coordinating all around us, but I bet there are people all around us that we've sort of given up on for all kinds of reasons. I bet there are people all around. I bet there's people in our family that we've given up on. I bet we have a, a boss or a coworker that's so horrible that we're just like, no hope. Never going to happen. And God says, oh, you don't know the power I have. In fact, what I've discovered is the people who seem the most lost are the ones who are usually the closest for picking in the harvest because they're starting to realize this isn't working. They're losing relationships. They're losing life. They're losing health. They're losing friendships. They're losing family. They're losing it all. And let me tell you, when God sees someone like that, he's like, blessed are the poor. They are ripe for harvest. They are ripe for harvest. Pray, therefore, for workers who will be in the harvest field. I, I, I think there's, a, there's an additional part of that prayer, which is, Lord, I'm praying for workers, and here I am. I'll be a worker. Just on faith. You just pray that on faith. Not because you're smart enough, good enough. Some of us beat ourselves up because we don't have it all figured out yet. We don't feel good enough to share this good news. And God's like, no, you're the perfect person because you're humble enough to admit it. How many prideful people could God use in the Bible? None. So he chooses you unless you're prideful. And you got to get on your knees, all right? That's what these altars are for, Amen. God says, please, such as you are, let me talk and be working through you. Be a worker. Let's, uh, let's commit ourselves to being a part of a church that believes in this. Uh, not just locally in Sandpoint, but all over the, the Northwest and, and truthfully all around the world. Today at 2 o'clock, we're going to be meeting with your church board and your pastor and did you know that that meeting is so that we can get workers in the harvest? That, that's all we have on the agenda. It's just a small thing. Maybe you should pray for us. Amen? Amen. Won't you stand with me as we close in prayer? God, uh, we just admit that left to our humanness, we have a tendency to push people away and keep people away and we have a tendency to sort of judge whether or not someone will turn or ever become a Christian. And Lord, we just want to confess to you that uh, we're not good judges. So Lord, we give ourselves to you and your Holy Spirit to work inside each one of us to have hope where we had none. And God, would you please work within each one of us that when we see masses of people, whether it's on TV or whether it's in Spokane, Port Elaine, Sandpoint, or anywhere in this area where we see masses of people or even an individual where we think it's hopeless, would your spirit, we give you permission, God, to let your Holy Spirit whisper in our ear, there's a harvest. 
and prompt us to pray, God, and we'll do it. We'll do it. Lord, we trust you for this great work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. God bless you as you go. The Holy Spirit is with you. You are not alone in this. God bless you. You are dismissed.